Repodcasting is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Have you ever watched a movie and wondered why to cast that woman or that guy? Well, here's your chance to give it a try. We're repodcasting. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Repodcasting. I'm Lucia Julio. And I'm Janet, and we have a special guest this month. It is Dan Retson. He is uh, our relative. Welcome, Dan. Thank you. Yeah, I'm here. Uh, thank you for having me. I really enjoy your podcast, and I can't wait to be part of it. <laughs> Yay. So, Dan, tell us a little bit about, because you have a background in uh, film, so just briefly, uh, like, refresh our memories on that. What's your background? Okay, I was a math major in university in my last year, just to switch it up a little bit so I didn't go crazy. I took a film course, and my film teacher encouraged me to pursue it, and I wasn't really interested in going on and being a teacher or an actuary or accountant or whatever you do with a math degree yet, so I thought, okay, sure. Um, I applied to Ryerson University, and I got in in their filmmaking, uh, image arts, uh, film studies program, and I went through four years of filmmaking and film production and all that sort of stuff, and writing and directing, and, and it was a ton of fun. It was a, like the best four years ever, and, but at the end of that, I decided not really interested in uh, working in that industry, which is very, very all out all the time, late nights. Um, you're only as good as who you know and you know who you talk to and that's just not my style and so I said this was fun it was great and I made a lot of good friends but uh, now I'm ready to be a math teacher so that's what I am now. <laughs> okay that's cool so um, tell us okay so tell us about your your favorite sort of films or your favorite genre even. Yeah, okay. I have a lot of uh, films. I actually kind of like uh, B-movies a lot. They're kind of my my favorites. And uh, so at my heart, like in, in terms of going to film school and like all the kind of pretentious whatever, the stuff <laughs> that I loved the most was like the French New Wave because they uh, felt the same way. So the French uh, filmmakers um, from the 1960s, um, they were in love with Hollywood, like B-movies and like uh, B-westerns and that sort of thing. And so Francois Truffaut was like one of my favorites and he did a movie called The 400 Blows. That was one of my faves. But always up there, one of my all-time favorite movies, uh, true B movie is uh, Joe vs. Volcano. <laughs> okay. So this is, this is cool because I feel, we were a little intimidated to have you just because you have a background in film. So we're like, okay, like we're going to sound like total amateurs next to Dan. <laughs> so Lucia, uh, let's talk about the film that we're recasting this month. Okay. So, um, in case you can't tell, I'm sick. <laughs> My voice sounds terrible, but we will try to get through this. Um, well, this movie was Janet's choice, actually. Uh, and we're going to do the 2000 movie, Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Last month I said it was from 2006 because I did not realize that this movie was so old. It is an 18-year-old movie. It could vote if it was a person. <laughs> I know. I didn't realize it was already an 18-year-old movie yeah. as well. So, yeah. Do you want to say anything, Dan? 
Uh, I guess I'll, I'll third the opinion. It was shocking that it was that old. Uh, it just made me feel very old because I thought it was like, wow, what a cool new current remake of and then when I saw this new one that was coming out with this cartoon I'm like why are they doing that they just did one a couple of years ago <laughs> of course most people who would be interested in it weren't even born so yeah. <laughs> yeah it's true for myself when it came out I had no interest in seeing it because I love the 30 minute cartoon from mm-hmm. 1966 it's the best it's perfect there's no need to change it to add to mm-hmm. it and you know to turn that into a 90 minute movie you're gonna fill it with a bunch of dumb stuff which is exactly what they did is this the first time you saw it for this podcast it's not the first time i watched it but like i wasn't hugely anticipating this movie when it came out i mean i was never a big fan of jim carrey so i didn't really care about it the way i feel some people did like we were talking earlier today this was a huge payday for Jim Carrey like at the time he was paid 20 million dollars to make this movie and I remember (laughs) that it made the news and it was such a big deal that he was making that kind of money for the film so it was a big deal when it came out but I wasn't like super into it I don't know what about you Dan yeah this was the first time I saw the movie Um, okay yeah watching it for this I probably almost almost the same as Lucy, I would I would guess. I mean, I hate to repeat what, you, but like I loved the original, yeah. the twenty six minute thing, and I just thought, wow, they are going to destroy this, <laughs> you know, and uh, they absolutely did. It yeah. was the, you know what I thought the funny part was the plot line of the twenty six minute film. They may have actually accomplished that in less than twenty six minutes. Like most of this film focused on the other absolute garbage yeah. that yeah. was totally unnecessary. And so I'm like, you know, who stole the movie? Like, it was ridiculous. <laughs> so, but let's talk box office now. So the budget for this movie was a hundred and twenty three million. And uh, the box office, this was worldwide gross. It was $345 million. So it did really well. And we were actually, like, we kind of uh, Googled some facts about it. And this movie still ha- holds the record for the highest opening weekend for a Christmas-themed movie. So that's pretty impressive because, yeah. I mean, there's Christmas-themed movies that come out, like, every year, obviously, and this still holds the record, so. Maybe it, because this movie was so anticipated but then was so disappointing, nobody ever went out in droves again. So it's going to hold the record forever. <laughs> but it made a lot of money. Like, that's yeah. the thing. It was a huge success. Yeah, like, how did this movie possibly outperform Elf or any other movie that I was know. so good and so entertaining? Yeah. And, and that's not only the one, that's, like, the one that comes to mind is, like, the best one. But, yeah. like, there have been good ones yeah. since then and before then. And this is, like, $345 yeah. million. Dollars. Yeah. I'm surprised if it made $345. <laughs> I mean, how did this outperform Fred Claus? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or the Stop Santa. it Fred Claus. <laughs> <laughs> Or Jack Frost. <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow. Okay, so I will do the synopsis of the movie. Every Who down in Whoville <laughs> liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. I'm not going to do a synopsis of this stupid movie. I'm just going to say <laughs> the beginning of the one that I like. I guess we can get into the casting. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, we like to let our guest, our special guest, go first. So, Dan. 
Take it away, Dan. Okay, well, I really want to apologize if I step on any of your casting decisions or, or you know, like I don't want to. But even if it's a double up, I'll be fine with that. I won't. I won't. Uh, I, I think any of us will have no, the same. We think we've all gone in different directions. I think so. Okay. Okay. So I guess where where do I start? Uh, I guess I'll just go into my thinking. Uh, before I watched the movie, I just thought, you know, who would make a good Grinch based on the original one, and also thinking. Uh, what do I know about Jim Carrey? He's completely annoying. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's not entirely true. Like, I, I love Jim Carrey when he's not trying to be funny. He's amazing. Yeah. And I, I wish he'd played this not trying to be funny. Right. Yeah. He might have actually done a good job. Yeah. But he did. He pulled out his... He went straight to the mask mm-hmm. and then dialed it up to 15. You know, like it was horrible and unwatchable yeah. and he was entirely responsible for that i actually think this could be a, it would never be a great movie but it could be an entertaining mm-hmm. kind of fun movie to yes. watch yeah if he wasn't in it <laughs> um which comes to the point so i thought first i was like i'm gonna cast al pacino and i thought that would be so much fun wow um, <laughs> And then, you know, I thought, I just I just had this great idea of Al Pacino being this sort of, like, really stick-in-the-mud kind of guy, right? Like, the Grinch is supposed to be old. The Grinch is supposed to be, like, mad about Christmas and unhappy with the whole thing. And I just thought, he'd be perfect. But, okay, so then I watched the movie, and Jim Carrey just made me so angry. Like, in the first six minutes, I was done with him. And, mm-hmm. and he just kept on going. So I eventually narrowed it down. I, I, I want somebody who's the opposite. I want somebody who reminds me of the original Grinch. Because his main problem was he was more or less a psychopath in, in this whole movie. And, and it made me not want him to change. Like, I didn't want his heart to grow big. I just wanted him to be, like, encased in concrete in that cave. <laughs> and, and hidden from the rest of society. Because he was a danger to society. I mean, yeah. honestly, him and... The love interest, the woman from uh, The Good Wife, the, the lawyer, I don't remember mm-hmm. the name, Christine Lorensky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They honestly seem to have a relationship kind of similar to maybe like what I would imagine uh, Paul Bernardo and Caroline Mulkel. Oh like, <laughs> honestly, they... Where is this podcast going? <laughs> I'm just thinking. That That's amazing. They are just like, they seem like psychotic, mm-hmm. evil people. She was incensed every time he did something violent. And she would encourage him to do it. She'd be like, oh. And it looked like she was getting, like, almost turned on by that. And it was really disturbing. And I was thinking, this is for children. Somehow, Mm -hmm. his psychotic behavior, uh, where she is getting, like, literally lusty, watching him him destroy things and create chaos, Mm -hmm. is somehow targeted at children. Not to mention his eyes. My three-year-old ran away crying after two oh, minutes oh. of trying to watch this movie because I thought, oh, the Grinch, she'll like it. <laughs> like, Daddy, that's scary. And I looked on the screen and I saw this guy with burning yellow eyes yeah. and like a terrifying mm-hmm. dog face. And it was Jason and uh, crossed with Harry and the Henderson. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so my, my thought was to get as far away from that, as dignified as possible. And I thought Benedict Cumberbatch would have been the perfect uh, ah. guy, in my opinion, because it's the everything Jim Carrey wasn't. I thought he could be refined, be angry by the Who's craziness, you know, mm-hmm. instead of like being crazier than the Who's himself. Like just being like, I want it quiet. I want it nice. <laughs> I want it exact, precise. Every time Jim Carrey broke something mm-hmm. in his house, I, I just 
wondered how it got put there in the first place. Like what person came into his house and organized it so that he could destroy it? Because he was obviously a nightmare destruction king. So like, how did his house become organized for him to jump on top of it and break everything he owned? So Benedict Cumberbatch, my... He's your Grinch. Yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch, I think, would would be good. And it's funny because he's doing the... We were just talking about this. He's doing the voice for this new animated version. He is? Did you not know that? No, I didn't know that at all. (laughs) Oh, now I feel like... Oh, come on. That's the worst... I'll go back to Al Pacino now. <laughs> yeah, no, he's That's doing amazing. the voice, but he's not doing his own voice. He didn't want to do it with a British accent, so he's got, like, this American accent going. And apparently, this was his idea. Like, he was just on the Kelly and Ryan show talking about it this morning. Oh, well, I don't agree with that at all, because I was... It's his British accent that I was imagining, you know? Yeah. Like, Sherlock being the Grinch would be perfect, because, you know crusty and angry and offending people but totally in control and you know not kind of making me want to hide and never let my kids see him yeah 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 exactly and that's like I thought the same thing I was like with his British accent like to me he would be the perfect Grinch Mm -hmm. for sure well you love Benedict Cumberbatch (laughs) I do I do and when I first heard that he was going to be doing the animated version I was really excited and then when I saw the trailer and saw that he was doing some Mm -hmm. weird American accent I was disappointed yeah so yeah I probably won't be watching that one yeah until we do a podcast on it in 18 years (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's just it's a, a sort of a, an odd creative choice that yeah. he obviously came up with and mm-hmm. I'm just surprised that that was the direction that he wanted to go in it was his idea so whoever is producing the movie they obviously let him go with that yeah right? maybe he just got carried away with his uh, Doctor Strange voice and like got excited about doing accents mm-hmm. and just wanted to keep on doing it I don't know it sounds weird. Like, to me, it sounds it sounds a bit weird. It does. It does. Yeah. So should I go next with my casting? Okay. Uh, I'm of the same mind as Dan. Like, I felt that Jim Carrey was, like, it was a manic <laughs> sort of performance. Oh. I didn't find it, like, I guess it's supposed to be amusing. I didn't find anything amusing about it. I can't understand why this would be geared towards children. It is frightening. Yeah. <clears throat> and to me, yeah, like, he just was like a serial killer Grinch. Like, that yes. was kind of the vibe exactly. that you got off of him. Mm-hmm. But also, like, that's Jim Carrey. Like, he dials it up so high, and it's it's was too much. And maybe, you know... 18 years ago, Jim Carrey's career was obviously doing a lot better than it is now, right? Because they paid him $20 million to to do the movie. And he obviously had the clout at that time. Like, I think his career was on fire 18 years ago. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously he was like a hot commodity and they, they selected him. I went with someone who I thought could have played maybe the the more amusing aspects of him, but maybe wouldn't be as scary. Um, so I went with John C. Riley. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any thoughts, Lucy? You're like, your eyes did this weird thing just now. I'm processing. I really like that. What was John C. Riley doing in the year 2000? I'm glad you asked that, Lucia. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> he uh, in, the, in the year 2000, The Perfect Storm came out, and he was in that. But John C. Riley, like when you actually take a minute to look at his filmography, he has done so much work. Like he's been in so many movies that I didn't even realize he was in. He's had like this really long and varied career. And he's done a bit of everything. Like he's done drama. He's done a lot of comedies, obviously. Like when I think of John C. Riley, I always think of Will Ferrell. Of course. Mm -hmm. They're just, you know, they've they've done Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Star yeah. And so. Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Sherlock Holmes is coming out soon. Yeah. So uh I always think of him more as a comedic actor, but he's done He's quite adept at doing drama. I've seen him in some dramatic roles. Didn't he win an Oscar for Chicago for his performance? Oh, I don't know. We'll have to Google that. I'll let you Google that okay. while, I'm, Go ahead. while I keep talking. <laughs> oh, sorry. I think Dan wants to say something. Yes, Dan? No, it just reminded me, John C. Riley. you know, like, uh, I remember his performance from Magnolia, and I remember that not being particularly comedic, but really well done. And I think he wasn't actually considered a comedic actor at that point, you know, until he did Step Brothers and stuff and kind of ventured out. So I feel like he's got a range. Yeah. And I think that he, I think he could have done a better job than Jim, Jim Carrey. And also, like, it would have been interesting to see how his career, how it would have changed his career, you yeah. know, to do like such a big studio movie. And to have like such a big lead role, like it would have been interesting to see what would have happened to John C. Riley's career from there. Not to mention the studio could have saved about $17 million. <laughs> <laughs> um, he did not win an Oscar, but he was nominated for Best Supporting oh, okay. Actor for Chicago. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I just think he would have... I think he just would have played it differently. He would have come at it from a different angle and I would have enjoyed seeing him in that role. Because my pick. As you may know, dear listener, repodcasting is part of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. And um, we have fantastic podcasts on the podcast network, other movie podcasts, such as I Have Some Notes. Um, I actually went back through their archive recently and listened to their episode on this movie, Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Um, the episode is about two years old now, but it was really fun to listen to them talk about this movie and it helped me prepare for my own recasting. Um, so definitely check them out along with all the other great podcasts at albertapodcastnetwork.com. And <laughs> moving right along to my own casting, I thought... Jim Carrey was too wacky. It was silly. Like, there was no need for the Grinch to be like that. It, there was no, not even a trace of that in the original, in the book or in the original cartoon. Like, it was just, there was, it was only because it was Jim Carrey. It, there's no way it was written like that either. So, initially, I was like, well, it was funny, but not as wacky. And I was thinking of Brendan Fraser. Um, oh, yeah, because he had done some like comedic stuff at that time. George of the Jungle. George of the Jungle. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and in the year 2000, he did 
it's called Bedazzled, I think, yes. or Liz Hurley's The Devil. And so I was like, oh, good. If he did this instead, Bedazzled wouldn't exist. <laughs> 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 so, um, but in the end, I was like, I think he's still a little, like, the, at least the way I'm picturing it, he's still a little too silly. Yeah. And so I wanted to go more, like, in the direction, like, of what you were saying, somebody refined, kind of more the opposite of Jim Carrey. And so I ended up landing on... Um, Tim Curry. Oh, nice. Yeah, from Rocky Horror yeah. Picture Show. Mm -hmm. And um, well, like maybe this is a slightly uninspired pick because in Home Alone 2 Lost in New York, he plays the concierge <laughs> and they actually do like his face and going into the Grinch's face. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I'll show it to you later. Okay. So, but that, like, when I was thinking of that, I'm like, oh, he's perfect. Like, yeah. he, I think he'd be really good. Um, and then also, like, because he does kind of look like the Grinch already, I think they did go a little too crazy with the makeup. Oh, my God, my voice. Uh -huh. So, um, I know they won an Oscar for best makeup, mm -hmm. but I think it was too much. Like, to me, they reached the Uncanny Valley. Have you heard of this? Yeah. The yeah. AI Valley. Yeah. yeah, so it's like, like do you know the movie A Christmas Carol, the animated one? Um, or like Polar Express? Mm -hmm. So those got so realistic and like they, they went too far to the point where like everybody just looked creepy. Yeah. And so I feel like this movie, they were trying to make them look so much like the Who's from the drawings that they just ended up looking really creepy. Was this movie, like I don't remember, but was... Was it in 3D when it came out? No, it was before the whole 3D craze hit. Okay. You know, but I just have to say about Jim Carrey's costume, like, not only was it terrifying, it was also, like, slightly obscene. Like, you could see his butt entirely. And the Grinch doesn't even have a butt. Like, I have a Grinch toy at home that's, like, cute and whatever. He's got a smirk. And it looks like the real-life version of this animated Grinch. And that's exactly what I would hope for in a live action version. Mm -hmm. But instead they made it look like he actually was like, basically like an animal that had grown green fur. Is that had this weird dog face. He had, you could see his anatomy and it was just really disturbing. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's a children's movie. Yeah, no, it was disturbing. And it, like, basically, it was just, like, a vanity vehicle for Jim Carrey. Like, I got that sense that they just sort of... It was like, here, here's $20 million. Like, do whatever you want and be as wacky as you want to be. And um, can I just bring up the Lederhosen? <laughs> Does anybody wonder where the... Yeah. I, I don't want to... I don't know about your viewers, so I don't want to... But, I mean, that deserves kind of, like, a more emphatic word than I think I can use. But <laughs> what the heck like, <laughs> you can swear we're, we're an explicit podcast really <laughs> okay so what the fuck why is he wearing lederhosen that's not in the book it's not it comes out of nowhere yeah yeah i don't know i mean i just i didn't enjoy the movie period yeah. but i don't know apparently the makeup process was so like daunting and it took many hours mm -hmm. that Jim Carrey sought counseling from a CIA agent <laughs> who taught him torture resistance methods. <laughs> 
It's so crazy. Like, is there any need to go that far? That's a little bit just... That's Jim Carrey, right? Like, I mean, like, yeah. honestly, the man is unstable. Like, I, I don't yeah. think he could, like, I don't know, yeah. sit through uh, one class in the university, maybe, and not, you know, needing and need the torture training. Like, honestly. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because we were talking, like, Ron Howard directed yeah. this movie. And, you know, we were talking about how, like, everyone always says Ron Howard is such a, a wonderful person. Like, you never hear anyone say anything bad about him. And I also feel like they always bring Ron Howard in when, like, there's a difficult project to do or there's mm -hmm. difficult people to deal with. Because, you know, he was the one that came in and when the solo movie, like, basically right, was, was yeah. crashing and they were having all those issues with it, they brought in Ron Howard. Because he's, he's so, like, stable. He's so um, experienced. He's been around a long time. And he's obviously really good with, like, large productions, right? Yeah, I mean, he's the company man, you know? He's the ultimate Hollywood guy. <laughs> you need something done, you call Ron Howard. Yeah. But uh, Cinderella Man, I think, had some problems around that. He was known as the stabilizer. Maybe it was Russell Crowe throwing a phone at somebody or something during... <laughs> but, you know, like, he, he pulled that one into the into the port as well. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like, honestly, I have to say, though, Ron Howard's casting decisions, maybe if they cast less of their family, it might be slightly better. <laughs> like, his brother... Here's a rule for Ron Howard to follow. If somebody has never been in a movie other than your movie, you aren't allowed to cast them. Yeah. Because, like, he casts his brother in every movie, which is great, you know. Mm -hmm. he, he's in Apollo 11. It's kind of like the Alfred Hitchcock thing. Like, where's Ron Howard's brother going to be? But, and he, by the way, I think he was, he was the mayor's toady. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the, back to the Lederhosen, the, <laughs> the Alpenhorn guy, that was, like, a relative of Brian Grazier, which is, like, Ron Howard's, oh, like, as I saw the, yes. as I saw the credits going up, I'm like, Brian, I'm like, so honestly, you had to have Lederhosen in it just to get your relative in. Like we had to endure the Lederhosen because they needed a cameo for a relative. It doesn't make any sense. Well, they had yeah, it was such an like it was such a huge cast. Like they had so many extras that it was probably like they just started randomly bringing in family members. But it's true, <laughs> his brother is always in every movie. Ron Howard was really thankful that Jim Carrey was going through the whole, the torturous makeup process. So one day he um, decided to direct in the Grinch full costume. So he went to set early, he got all do dolled up in, his, in the Grinch costume, but he didn't tell anybody he was doing this. So when Jim Carrey saw him, he got really mad because he thought it was his stunt double and he was really mad that the guy looked nothing like him. <laughs> So Jim Carrey. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, then they figured it out, and Ron Howard directed the whole day in that costume. I want to hang out with Ron Howard. <laughs> no, right? He seems like he'd be, like, a really cool, just all-around nice guy to hang out with. Yeah, yeah. He seems like I'd love to go, like, in the, in Arrested Development, when they go to his family barbecue, that would be almost perfect, you know? <laughs> oh, man. I, w I wonder if he wishes he had a mulligan on this movie. Like, now, you know? Like... If I could only do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing that is just mind-blowing to me is that this movie is just completely missing the point of the original source mm -hmm. material. Like, it's in this one, the Who's are greedy capitalists. They, and the Grinch is the one who has to teach them to, like, not care about stuff at Christmas. Yeah. 
Um, the relationship between him and Cindy Lou Who is just weird. Mm-hmm. It's too much. Like, why does she love him so much? And she's too old to not recognize him when he's dressed up as Santa in her house. Yeah. It's all of it. Every single decision, not just casting, every single decision in this movie is like, what were you thinking? I don't get it. It's entirely inconsistent, too. I mean, like, you've got Cindy Lou Who, who somehow figures out the true meaning of Christmas, but she doesn't understand that she shouldn't hang out with this psychopathic guy who who would probably eat her. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, it's... Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Um, and then I also wanted Did you to have mention any other yeah, the actors went to Who school to be able to like act and walk and talk like Who's. Mm-hmm. I didn't see that personally. No. I don't know. They failed. <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess Who's are hypersexual beings that <laughs> always wanted, you know. And actually just you women, who women. And I, I would just like to understand who wrote this movie and, and their understanding of women and how that women get like aroused constantly by things that men do. For example, Cindy Lou's mom gets all excited when her husband at the end uh, says something, you know, manly, I guess. And then the other character, it's just, it's sort of like eye rolling. And I'm like, I don't know. I've never met a woman like that. Yeah. Like, you know, like. and Christine, sorry, and Christine Baranski has like, she has her cleavage out most of the time and she's an attractive woman and that's fine if like she wants to, but number one, this is a kid's movie. Mm-hmm. She's a who, a who's don't have their cleavage on display. Yeah. Jim Carrey falls on her and his face falls into her cleavage. That's who so is this movie for? Us. It is yeah. not for children. Yeah. It's funny when you said about who wrote it, cause uh, when I was doing the the research on Wikipedia for it, apparently there were like eight rewrites of the script. Wow. Yeah, they needed like eight more. <laughs> so, I mean, th- there were issues there, obviously, right? Yeah. And it's, sorry, uh, did you, anybody, either of you notice they inserted a second holiday into this movie? And most of the movie was donated to that holiday, not Christmas? Yeah. What was that holiday even? Millennium. No, what was it? The, the, oh, it I forgot. Some who millennium type thing. Yeah. yeah. Hubilation. The Hubilation. Yeah. It's already a Christmas movie. Why? Yeah, like, Ron Howard literally, like, got his start. Well, actually, no. No, I guess Andy Griffith. But, I mean, like, he, he was a major part of a show that coined the phrase Jump the Shark. And then <laughs> made the movie that Jump the Shark worse than any movie I've ever watched. <laughs> that's that's very true <laughs> oh that's terrible yeah um and you were saying that like the who's are hyper sexualized beings absolutely they're they're swingers <laughs> there's this yes. there's a scene where they are putting their keys in a bowl the that's who's right. yeah. at the party at the party of course yeah and you're just like ah oh, it's, it's it's upsetting <laughs> yeah and you know I'm not a fan of people saying things like, this movie ruined my childhood and whatever. And it didn't. This movie didn't ruin my childhood. And it didn't even ruin the source material. I was I will always go back and watch that and love it. But at the same time, it infuriates me that it exists. <laughs> so I like kind of get a little bit those people who get mad when things yeah. are remade. <laughs> yeah, this, this movie reached back into my childhood and like... <laughs> Took a dump on it. It was just <laughs> awful. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, 
have any other comments about this movie? Because clearly we we all agree that it sucks and we didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, I think this movie is beautiful for your guys' uh, concept of recasting. Because honestly, I couldn't tell you whether this movie would be actually likable or the sexualizing thing is always going to be a problem. And Cindy Lou being older is weird and dumb choice. Um, but Jim Carrey's performance single-handedly ruined this movie in such a way that I would actually, you know, uh, subject myself to watching it again if somebody else was playing that role. Yeah, so that's the thing. Like, if Jim Carrey was not in this movie, like, the movie actually could have had a chance. Maybe it wouldn't have been, like, completely amazingly likable, but it would have been a different movie, obviously, yeah. Apparently, Jim Carrey did admit to feeling ashamed for not trying to prevent some of the adult humor in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, at least he recognizes mm -hmm. that it was a mistake. Yeah. He says, bitchin' to Cindy Lou Who. <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, it's not. It's not a children's movie. No, he, it's not. He did the same thing with Kick-Ass. After he made yeah. the movie that was, like, hyper-violent, he, he, he decided he didn't like it and started, like like denigrating it <laughs> what as he was doing his movie tour. I mean, the man is not stable. Yeah, he's, got <laughs> he's really not. Yeah. Um, I do just want to quickly mention Tim Burton was considering to direct at one point, but then there was a scheduling conflict. Mm. Would have been a very different movie. Yeah, for sure. I would yeah. have loved to have seen that. And then uh, didn't you didn't we talk about who the other potential actors were? Who, who were they? Again, sorry, Lucy, because I, I can't remember now. Okay, it was Eddie Murphy and Jack Nicholson are the two that I saw. Okay. Both weird. <laughs> yeah, Eddie Murphy would have been like, that would have been like Pluto Nash all over again. But, you know, like just a bad, it would have been sure. a string of bad movies for Eddie Murphy. For it sure. wouldn't have really been much different from what he was doing at the time, I don't think. Yeah. Jack Nicholson, interesting, but I think probably that would be a fail too. I think so too. Yeah, I can't. I can't see either one of those actors taking on this role. I really can't. No, I can't envision that happening. And I do just want to say one more thing because I kind of I know we're piling on to Jim Carrey, but I just I have to tell this one. Um, so Audrey Geisel, um, Dr. Seuss's widow, she went to the set of Man on the Moon to see if Jim Carrey was right for the role that he was being considered at that point. And he was so deep in the character of Andy Kaufman that he had to do an impression of Jim Carrey doing an impression of the Grinch for this. And it got him the role. I just, I, I don't like Jim Carrey. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it. He makes me mad. <laughs> it's interesting. I wonder if the your listeners can hear an eye roll on the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's uh, he's definitely, like, there's that pretension about him for sure and it's interesting because you know you see how his career has devolved over the years and you have to wonder if like people just finally got fed up of working with him and having to deal with these sort of things that were were happening right yeah and i would say like that's too bad that she went to the man on the moon to uh to see if he, he could do it because that was like one of the few movies where he's actually tolerable. Uh, it's well made and he's great in it. And along with like the Truman show and uh, the, his absolute best is eternal sunshine and the spotless mind. Mm -hmm. And all those movies, he's not funny. So maybe he should never be funny again. And, yeah. 
But actually, I think he's decided not to act anymore, which is so Jim Carrey. He's been been painting in his own house for 10 years. Yeah, puts on art shows and stuff. Well, luckily, he took a break from painting to make Dumb and Dumber 2. That's right. (laughs) Yes. It's time for another break to tell you about the podcast Back to School Again by Katrina Ingram, presented by Norquist College. Katrina interviews people who have returned to the classroom in midlife and chronicles her own journey as an adult who finds herself back in school. You'll also learn about the unique programs at Norquist College that help to provide learning opportunities for all. It's a bi-weekly podcast, and you can read the show notes and subscribe at backtoschoolagain.ca. And now back to the show. Okay, and now it is time for our segment. Hold me close, young Tony Danza. Hey. It's time for Hold Me Close, Young Tony Danza. Low register. Okay. So um, this is the segment where we take Tony Danza and cast him into one of the roles in this movie. So we'll let our guest, Dan, go first. Okay. There's a ton of cameo-type whatever mm-hmm. roles, but when you actually get down to people who speak... We're pretty limited, so I get. But I think I think he would actually do pretty good. I'm tempted to throw him in there, the Grinch, just to get rid of Jim Carrey, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I would. I would love to see him as uh, the dad because he's an awesome dad. I mean, he's who's the boss, you know? So yeah, I think I'd throw him in for the dad, and that would make the movie better too because the dad, like, totally. One of the things he ignored his child for like ninety percent of this movie, yeah. and then at the end he defends her, and it's sort of like. So when people are watching, you pretend you actually noticed your child was like questioning the value of Christmas and you shut her down at every possible turn. But when there's a crowd watching, oh yeah, you're a good dad. <laughs> it's just like insane. Tony Danza would be a great dad, as we as we know. So I cast Tony Danza as the mayor. Uh, his name was Augustus May who and it was Jeffrey Tambor who was in the role and so I thought Tony Danza would be a great mayor come on he's got like that commanding kind of presence so that's where I put him in yeah I like it I like it um I actually went in the same direction as Dan oh I cast Miss Cindy Lou who's dad who I don't know what the name of the character is (laughs) for the same reasons of course he's a great dad yeah he, and he'd be fun as a mailman. <laughs> yeah, and, and but I'm all for uh, throwing him in there for Jeffrey Tambor. I, I can't imagine Tony Danza having a Me Too movement moment. Yeah. Now, having said that, of course, you know, we're about like oh, three God, minutes away God. from. <laughs> <laughs> no. God. I know, right? It's impossible. <laughs> um, okay. So the, uh, the ratings for the movie on IMDb, this got a 46%, and on Rotten Tomatoes, a 53%. So... I actually consider those pretty generous. Mm-hmm. I myself, I Very. think I gave it like yeah, a ten percent. Surprise! Yeah. yeah. So uh, we do have one thing that we're so excited to talk about. We have a listener email. Yay! So someone finally emailed us, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and like when Lucia forwarded the email to me, like I literally messaged her in all caps and I was like listener email finally Um, so we would like to give a shout out to Keith 
who emailed us. He took the time. So thank you, Keith, for, for listening and for taking the time to email us. And I'm actually going to read um, this email that Keith sent us because um, he talks about Mel Brooks movies. So we thought we'd, uh, we'd have like a little chat about Mel Brooks. So here we go. So, okay, sorry, I'm a bit behind in my listening. But at the end of the episode, when you were talking about Mel Brooks movies, my fave, I was shocked, appalled, and flabbergasted. Okay, no, really, I'm just pulling your leg. That you didn't talk about Spaceballs. It still holds up. My kids love it. You have to go back and watch it, if for nothing else than John Candy. And not to mention it in a Star Wars episode, for shame. <laughs> but like you said, Lucia, I think that's because that's the movie that imprinted on me at the right time. Blazing Saddles is hilarious. And to watch it now, you say, wait. Did he really just say that? The History of the World Part 1. All just classics. You owe it to yourselves, if you haven't already, to listen to the interviews that Mark Marin did with both Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks on the WTF podcast. I'm not ranting, I promise. You just said no one ever emails you, so here you are. I'm just midway through the Rain Man episode and will send my rant under separate cover. Ciao for now, Keith. So thanks, Keith, for, for taking the time to send the email. Um, as for Mel Brooks, like I feel like Lucia and Dan probably have more to say about Mel Brooks. Yeah, I'm not... like I can appreciate that Mel Brooks is funny and I certainly understand why he has such a devoted sort of fan base. I totally get it. I'm just not like a huge fan of his his work, but I'm going to watch Spaceballs cuz I think that maybe I haven't given him enough of a chance. Spaceballs was my introduction to Mel Brooks. When I was a kid, my brother and I discovered I was very young and he was about five years older than me, so I'm guessing I was like eight, and he was, that would make him like 13 or so, I discovered Columbia House, and we somehow convinced our parents to like order VHS cassettes through the mail, <laughs> and Spaceballs, along with, uh, trying to think of some other highly inappropriate movies that we, we ordered for, especially for my age, you know, like, one was, I, I think, uh, oh, yeah, Eddie Murphy, Saturday Night Live, oh. which I, you know. You know, Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood, front to back, and hi, I'm Buckwheat, remember me? All that stuff. <laughs> so Spaceballs was absolutely ingrained in my mind. I could just, you know, every second of that movie, which uh, Spaceballs is kind of inappropriate, but I'm glad to hear Keith is showing it to his children, keeping that inappropriate. <laughs> and it's going. Keeping that spirit alive. Yeah, because it was great. <laughs> yeah, I saw that one pretty young, too. I mean, I was pretty, like innocent kid and I watched things like things like Three's Company even or super inappropriate I watched Dallas with my mom like I know that Dallas. or the Golden Girls even would have you know sex jokes sex constantly constantly <laughs> but I I know that I just didn't get it it went over my head and that's that like it didn't scar me it's fine <laughs> oh but it did <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine Janet <laughs> Damn it, Janet. No, 
Um, but yeah, I, I really liked Spaceballs too. I did know what Star Wars was and I recognized that it was parodying it and I thought it was funny. I still think it's funny. I actually watched it not too long ago, but it is dated. Like I will, I still will say it's funny, but I also recognize that it's dated. So yeah, so I need to watch Spaceballs. I'm going to add that to my movie watching list and I want to see Blazing Saddles oh, as well. It's amazing. Yeah, Blazing Saddles, it's like the, uh, the, the premise of it is just so funny that they, they did this. You know, they're like, the guys are like looking for uh, basically a patsy uh, to be the sheriff. And they look out their window and they see a black man being hung. And they're like, there's our sheriff. <laughs> and they immediately appoint the black man to be the sheriff okay. so that I guess when he dies, nobody will care. And I mean, it's just sort of like, it just shows how crazy racist the uh, Wild West was. <laughs> and to actually like bring that up while well, the whole time, you know, everybody else was busy celebrating Clint Eastwood and how wonderful and how cool those times were to be like, oh, by the way, there was a little bit of racism going on at that time, just to say, because, you know, Civil War just ended and stuff. And, uh, you know, to, to make that, and not just to make that the main point of the movie, but to make that movie a comedy is just <laughs> amazing. Right. So that's where the inappropriateness comes in, I'm guessing. With Not the just there. Just <laughs> no. okay. So I'm going to have to watch it. But Gene Wilder is in it. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, he's the he's the he's like the the best marksman. It's a okay. there's a best line when he like holds out his hand, you know, he's supposed to be the best guy and he holds out his hand to show how uh, how steady how steady he is yeah and the I don't remember the character the, the actor's name because I don't think he was in much else the guy who played the main I don't know yeah but uh, the sheriff and, and the sheriff he's basically his only friend in the whole world the only person that will support him and he goes the sheriff goes steady as a rock and then he holds up his other hand and he goes yeah but this is my shooting hand and it's flapping all over the place <laughs> okay oh, yeah little. yeah so because I, I like Gene Wilder he's funny so definitely, Keith, I am going to try and give Mel Brooks a chance, and I'm going to watch those two, those two movies. Yay, good job, Keith. You <laughs> got a to watch more Mel Brooks. <laughs> okay, um, so next month, uh, our movie will be American Beauty. We're going to go back to what we were doing with the Dustin Hoffman episode, and we're taking away Kevin Spacey's Oscar. Yes. Goodbye. <laughs> See you later. Okay, so thanks so much, Dan, for being here. We really Yay, were excited. Dan. <laughs> thanks, Dan, for being here. Yeah, oh, thank you. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun to sit around and talk about movies. And yay, now I'm famous. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're so famous. You'll be really famous in Alberta now. Oh, that, if you made it in Alberta, you can make it anywhere. Right? <laughs> I can't tell if that was sarcastic. <laughs> Okay, well, thanks very much. Um, hope you keep listening. We won't talk about our movie challenge today, but we will on our next month's episode. So uh, that's it for now. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.